Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we're talking about family. This is our family series. We're calling it Family Matters. Everybody has family matters that they got to work through and deal with, and everybody's family matters. And guess what? Family matters to God. It's real important to God. And we're going to talk about that a lot over the next few weeks. Um, Some of you remember a show when I say family matters, you're thinking about Urkel. You know, the whole, did I do that? God, we're not doing that. I will not wear suspenders. That's not part of the theme of this. Uh, but we, we do want to walk through how to build a family God's way. How, how can you build your family? How can you connect in? And the truth of the matter is, we all have some kind of a family. Uh, we've got natural family. We've got friends and family. We've got a spiritual family here called the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ. That, that's, those are all valuable things. And we all come from different kinds of families, right? Uh, my family, I grew up in church every Sunday twice on Sunday, Wednesday night, any other event that ever happened, church literally was the centerpiece of our life. Uh, I grew up, I was the kid falling asleep under the pew, right? Um, getting in trouble, p- getting pinched, you know, and whatever, because I'm goofing off in church. I mean, that, my entire childhood was somehow connected to church. That's, that, that's how I grew up. Jennifer came from a great family as well, and they were people of faith, but they had a different church experience than us, and we blended those things together. Everyone comes together from different positions, different experiences, and it doesn't make one better than the other or whatever. It's just all different. And then at some point in time, you begin to create your own family uh, culture and experience and all the different things that come together in that. Uh, We also understand that everybody's family is flawed. Doesn't matter how much you can whitewash it or paint it up or make it look pretty on the outside, everybody's family has some amount of dysfunction. Jesus said it like this. He says, one man's sins go out in front of him and another man's sins trail behind What that means is certain families you look at and you're like, man, that family is a disaster. And other families you look at and you say, wow, that family looks great. And sometimes the great family is a disaster. And the disaster family actually has some pretty amazing things going on. So it's important that we don't judge, we don't look down, that we seek to understand and to love. And, and I want to encourage you. I've, I've, I've talked to people that, you know, when they're working through hurts from family or parents or whatever, I've actually talked to people in my history that that have said they felt like they didn't receive anything good from their father or from their mother at all. All they had was negative. And I said, well, at least you got the DNA, right? Because if you didn't get the DNA, you got to find something to be grateful for. If you didn't get the DNA, you wouldn't even be here. So thank God they at least contributed that much. And God, your heavenly father has you the rest of the way out, right? Different cultures are very serious about family. You can do from different parts of the world where certain cultures, everything is about um, the, the, the grandparents and building the kids then a the life of the parents and the grandparents, other different types of cultures. Everything is about the grandparents building something for the grandchildren. It's just wild how many different cultures. But what we understand is that everything, when it comes to family, there's always something that sits in the heart of God. And I want to take you to a place in scripture because God created family for a very specific reason. Now with Jennifer and I, when we got married, you know, we have, again, two different families, great qualities on both sides of the family, but now we come together and we begin to create our own, uh, you know, family, and we decide we're going to wait a few years, and then we're going to have kids, and then we finally had kids, and our whole thing is, you know, we've watched people that they have kids, and then the kids take over everything. You ever seen that? I see that every week sometimes. I try, I mean, it's, it's, kids can take over, right? And it's important, one of the things we've had to recognize is that our kids can't be more important than our dynamic. Because those kids will leave you. And if they don't, you'll wish they would. 
right? And the dynamic that we have has to be massively important. But, I, but I've, I've watched different times, different seasons, people that do things differently with their kids. What we decided is that there was not going to be any freeloader living in the Scrivener house. If you live in this house, you are an employee of the family business. And that means the second you can toddle, you're helping carry something, right? If you can toddle, here's something unbreakable, toddle over, put this away. Oh, we're playing the cleanup game now. Nobody gets a free ride. Nobody gets a free lunch. Everybody is involved from the very beginning. That's how we raised our kids. And if you ever end up at our house and sit down and have family dinner with us, when we get up, when dinner is done, Jennifer and I sit there and our daughters get up and they grab the plates and they instantly start. And I'm talking a spotless kitchen and every friend we've ever had looks and goes, what the heck? It's like the Stepford wives, right? It's like, are these robots? How did you do this? And it's like, we brainwashed them and beat them and manipulated them and all. <laughs> no, but it's, it's the expectation that we place. Like, this is the culture we're going to create. You are are part of this family and you have to contribute. You don't get to be a freeloader. We're not your slave employees that you get to boss around or whatever. You are a part of this and it's, oh, we're all in this together and it's a cultural decision that we created, right? Now, you've heard of the terrible twos. I personally think it's the terrible threes because threes, they actually understand how to manipulate at a higher level. And what I heard was what you allow them to get away with at three will be times 10 at 13, Right? And so I was anybody here a psychotic 13 year old? I was, I'm pretty sure my wife was too. I was nuts at 13, right? I mean, absolutely off the rails. And Jennifer and I decided we do not want teenagers like we were to our parents. Every hair my dad lost, every gray hair on my mom's head came from me at some point in time, right? And they're at home in Tulsa shaking their head yes right now, amen, okay? But we decided all through their childhood, when you turn, when you're a teenager, are you going to be a sweet teenager? Or are you going to be a jerk? Which one are you going to, and we're literally manipulating. See, it's called persuasion if it's for a godly purpose, right? So, but, but literally, so now in their teen years, our teenagers, they still go through stuff. They're dealing with emotions. Did you know that psych, uh, like, like um, scientifically, a teenager, the amount of hormones and chemicals going through their body is more than the hormones and chemicals during menopause? So have some grace on your teenager, right? They're dealing with some stuff. You think you got hot flashes. They're, man, they're, they're dealing with some stuff going through those teenage years, right? So have some grace for them. But at the same time, you got to shape them. You got to shape them. So just a couple weeks ago, uh, or last week even, you know, it's because you know, it's, it takes over, right? So it's volleyball. It's, I mean, eight hours a day for camps and trainings and whatnot. And Blake comes home. She's been in volleyball for eight hours. And, and, and I'm like, the dishes in the sink. I'm like, come on, babe, we're cleaning up. She's like, oh, I'm so tired. I've been in volleyball. I'm like, yeah, and I've been driving you and I've been paying for it all. And I've been doing all this kind of stuff. You think I get the time? Oh, so it's fair for me to have to do all the work. I've been driving you everything. Get in there and clean that up. She's like, yes, sir. <laughs> right? But it's, you got to hold the line because it's a partnership and she doesn't get all the stuff for nothing. And your salvation is free. Jesus paid for everything. But not so you can be a freeloader. Amen? See, there's a connection between the family and the family of God. Amen? So let's look at a couple things. I want you to first and foremost recognize that family is God's foundation for mankind. Family is God's foundation for mankind. Let's look at this. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created 
him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds there, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this is the original picture. God made one being, Adam, man. Inside of Adam was both all of the masculine and all of the feminine. God made Adam individually, initially as one. It was a them. Interestingly, just like God, because made in God's image, God is a he, but he's also a we. And what I mean by that is it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all one. They're not three different people. They're all one. And I don't know if I'm smart enough to explain that to anyone in any way, shape, or form that makes sense, but they're all the same. They're all one, but we experience God in three different ways three different attributes. The Bible actually talks about the spirits of God, that there are seven spirits of God, and that's speaking of the nature and the diversity of who God is, right? So we understand that God is one, but he, inside of him as one, he has the son and the spirit. He has the word and the creative essence all inside as one, and he made God or man in his image originally as one being that had everything in it. But God, not being a man, didn't understand what it would be like to be a man. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come for any other reason but to make a connection between the heart of God and the heart of man, amen? That's why Jesus came. God had never been a man until Jesus came and became God in the flesh. So we see this picture that when it was time, we'll see this in the story, that man, it wasn't good for him to be alone. So God separated out some of the feminine, not all of the feminine, Men still have to be in touch. If we don't have any feminine in us, we're gonna have a really hard time ever understanding anything from our partner, from our wife, right? There is still some of the feminine and inside of the woman, there's still some of the masculine. You don't ever have someone that's 100% masculine, 100%, they can have different diversifications of that or different percentages or whatever. And I don't even know how all of that works. All I know is that when you have a good relationship, you have to be able to connect together and there's enough community and enough likeness that you can relate. But what's happened in our world is that we have a world that wants to label somebody. And if it's a boy who doesn't have as much rough and tumble athleticism and, and get dirty and roll in the mud and all that kind of whatever, and they're more artistic or they're more musical or they're whatever, the world, the culture wants to say, there's something wrong with that kid and it has to do with his sexuality. When it has nothing to do with his sexuality, it has to do with the fact that when God made man and when God made man, it had all the masculine and all the feminine all at once. All in one. In the same way, when there are certain girls that have, they're more athletic or they're more rough and tumble or they're more whatever, we used to call them tomboys. Now, the whole culture wants to change their sex. It's a demonic attempt. It's a demonic ploy that's anti-family. It's anti-creation. It's against the purpose of God. God created family in his image. A male, a female. There are men in the Bible that were incredibly masculine when you look at Jacob and Esau. The Bible says of Esau that he was an outdoorsman. All he wanted to do was hunt. He smelled like the outside. And someone said, ooh, right? <laughs> and then you have Jacob who it says was a man that was about the tents. He wasn't an outdoorsman. But all you gotta do is read the story of Jacob. That dude was a tough dude. He wrestled with God and won. 
He wasn't a wuss just because he was an inside brother, right? He was an inside guy. He was a businessman. He was a negotiator. He wasn't the outdoor. It had nothing to do with his sexuality. But we live in a world that wants to make everything about sexuality because sex is an idol. And it's all about demonic worship. We'll get into that later. That's October. You gotta stay tuned, okay? But I need you to understand, this is something that's so important that you, that you get this. The reason the church can never back away from the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman only is because it is the picture of God in the earth. It's the image of God. It's Jesus and his bride, the church. It's the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son, right? It's the picture of the family. And it's absolutely crucial for us to hold to that position that is a biblical, true position does not mean we don't love other people. I love and I accept anyone. I want everyone coming to this church, anyone, everyone coming to this church. But we do not affirm sin. We accept sinners. We do not affirm the sin. We accept people. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs forgiveness. I need forgiveness just as much as anyone else. I'm a work in progress. I'm not here to judge anybody, but I am here to tell the truth and speak the word and declare what the Bible says. And this is a foundation of God's creation. God built all of mankind on the picture of family because family is the picture of him. Amen? So we hold to it. And people can do whatever they wanna do. They can marry, if you want to marry a bug, by God, marry a bug, but that does not mean God condones it or affirms it. Church has to stand strong. We're in a war with the world and we win. Genesis chapter two, verse 23, and Adam said, now this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Shall she, the woman, because she was taken out of man, therefore uh, a man shall, be, uh, shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were naked and the man with his wife and they were not ashamed. God created this picture. It's the picture of God in the earth, a man and a woman becoming one. Becoming one, that's the picture. Now I want you to recognize that this is important because Luke chapter three, verse 22 says, and the spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, Jesus, and a voice from heaven which said, you are my beloved son, in you, in, in you I am well pleased. So we see that picture of the three in one all together in unity and that's why we hold to this. And this is what's so important. What's so important is that we create a priority of family and recognize that family is important to us because family is important to God. Family looks different to everyone. It just does. It looks different to everyone. All of our families go through stuff. We go through losses. We go through separations. I mean, sometimes it's not your desire. It's not your will. But guess what? Divorce can happen. Death can happen. And that doesn't mean that your family is lesser than someone else's. I don't know what struggle everyone's going through in their life. We all have different things that we're working through. And God loves you and God prioritizes your family and God loves your family and we love your family no matter what you're going through. I, I wanna make sure you understand that no one is here to, to speak down about anything. Listen, life happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And God has a future for all of us. But the most important thing that all of us understand is that as much as family is a priority, God has to be first. It's God before family. Whoa, that sounds crazy. Now notice I didn't say church before family. I said God before family, right? It's easy to get that mixed up a little bit. And, and, and church is important, but church isn't God, okay? 
It's, it's important you understand that. And, and as a pastor, I mean, it's, it's, it's important that I say that to you, that, that I, I want you here. I want you involved. I want you plugged in. I want, but listen, God is first and then family and then our family, right? That's how this picture works. So, but I've watched people, I've watched people, man, they're praying, they believe, praying, they believe, praying, they believe that they'll get married one day they're, and they're praying, they're believing. And finally God brings them the spouse and all of a sudden their spouse becomes more important than God. I've watched people do that with kids, pray and believe, pray and believe, pray and believe. And, and they're in the church and they're this and God's faithful and God, and all of a sudden they have the baby and the baby's more important than God and the spouse. It's dangerous. See, this whole principle of family, this whole principle of family, God made family, he made it a priority, he prioritizes your family, but he demands to be the priority. God has to be first. That's the deal. That's the business deal, right? That's, 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 the, that's the opportunity. Hey, I'm gonna bless your family. I'm gonna build you. I'm, this is what he said to Abraham. I'm gonna make your family like the, sea, like the sand on the seashore, but I gotta be first. Let's take it all the way back to the garden. In the garden, God made a family and there was one rule. What was the rule? Don't eat from the tree of good, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from this tree. That's one rule. Right next to that tree is another tree called the, the tree of life. If you eat the fruit from the tree of life, you live forever. Perfect health, forever. He said, give me one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you messing with that. I don't want you worrying about that. Let me handle the knowledge of good and evil. Let me carry the burden and the weight of that. Let me carry the stress and the pressure of all that. You enjoy your family, your wife, your work, your everything, and eat the tree of life and live eternally with me. You do that. But the enemy tricked them into eating from the first fruit. The tithe is what that is. The tithe, God being first, the first fruit. The first story of mankind is a story about God being first. It's a story about a tithe. Give me the first. Give me the, give me the first percentage, the first tenth. It's the tithe. And in church, oh my goodness, it's so controversial to talk about money in church. People get so bent out of shape. What I've learned is it's only people that have an issue in their heart with trusting God and trusting his people. Okay, and, and look, if you've been hurt by someone, and this message is not about tithe, this is a little tithe caveat, I, I apologize for the hurts and, and, and the misbehavior of other people, but that's, that's, that's not this church. That's not this church. So don't take an offense from somewhere else and project it on God, because this whole thing is about God being first. And when Adam and Eve didn't put God first, it brought the curse on their family. Look at the second story of mankind, Cain and Abel. What's the centerpiece of the story? The first fruit. Bring me the fatty portions from, the, from your firstborn flock of the herd. Abel does it, he gets blessed. Cain doesn't because he's stingy and greedy. And all of a sudden the curse is on him. He kills his brother and, and we see the curse released. It progresses forward and forward and forward and forward now to the life of Noah. And all, when it says of the life of Noah, it says that all mankind did anything they wanted, anything in their heart, any desire, they put themselves 100% first in every single way. And so God took four men with their wives, eight people, the number of a new beginning, four families, and he erased all of mankind and starts over because God has to be first. And in your family, 
Listen, it, my wife knows if God, if, if, if God is not first. She can tell in my attitude. If I'm in the flesh, if I'm not spending time with God, she knows it. And she tells me, you need to go pray. Now, when she doesn't, I know it too, but I'm not allowed to say it. It's different. <laughs> right? She knows it. When God is not first, things are out of order. When God is not first, it, things are, go into chaos. Your marriage needs God first. See, as much as I want to make my wife happy, I can't make her happy by disobeying God. I have to obey God. And if I obey God and make her unhappy, that's her problem. Right? She's got to go talk to Jesus. Right? But this is an important thing that we understand. Uh, my job is not to make my children happy. Do I want them to live their dreams? Absolutely. Do I, will I sacrifice anything to provide a future and an opportunity? And, and my God, paying for college? I didn't know you had to start paying before they got there. Goodness gracious, I've been paying for college since January. She leaves next Sunday. It's like, what the heck? But I'll, I'll sacrifice anything for the opportunity for my kids except disobey God, right? Because then I'll destroy them. My, my commitment to God is what creates the safe structure. But what was it that Joshua said? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's important that we as parents understand the most important thing. Man, when Lacey was talking about coming back from summer camp, uh, the kids came back from summer camp and, and we, were trying to, we were trying to organize and we're getting ready stuff ready to take to college and we're trying to do all this and Jennifer's calling Sydney and texting Sydney and I'm upstairs moving stuff out of the attic and we're trying to get college stuff ready. She's like, go in there and tell her to answer. I'm trying to make this appointment. I go in there and Sydney's in there with her door locked. She's worshiping God with her door locked and her journal on, she's like, can I just have some time with Jesus? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a horrible parent right now, but your mom needs to know something. Go back to praying, go back to praying, I'm sorry, right? That's my God, a kid that wants to worship Jesus in the room alone, I succeeded, right? Oh my God, we made it, we did it. I'm so glad she didn't have like chicken bones and blood scattered everywhere up there doing voodoo. I'm <laughs> just messing around. I'm sorry, I say stupid stuff sometimes. Anyway. Let's take a peek at this. I want you to see how important this is. Matthew chapter six, verse 31. Therefore, this is Jesus. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need these things, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, we get so caught up in all the things that we think we need. I, I, have you ever, you ever heard your kids come in and say, oh my God, I need this. You're like, no, you don't. Your spouse come in. Oh, I, I need this. I need this new car. No, you don't. That's a want. That's not a need. I, I, you know, I, after church, I'm going to say, oh my God, I need a taco. I clearly do not need a taco. I have 40 days of fuel right here. <laughs> I have so much. I, I am a survival machine. Just give me some water. I'll see you in 40 days. I'll be very grumpy, but I will be alive, right? Okay, I will be alive. I don't need a taco. I want, I want, I want. And most of the stuff that we say we need, it's all at once. And the reality is that we put our wants before God all the time. 
And when we put our wants, what I want, when what I want goes before what God wants, that's called idolatry. That's called, that's actually called witchcraft. Understand? It's rebellion. I want, I want. I don't care what he wants. See, God may have you in a relationship right now and and you're so stressed and frustrated and tired of the relationship, you may want out. But what does God want? God may want you to actually be faithful. God may want you to display his nature, the nature of Christ Jesus, who's willing to suffer. See, this, we'll get into this in the future, but the whole concept of, of a husband's role, the husband's role in a relationship is to be like Jesus, which means his job is to die. My job is to die. That's my job in the marriage. Joel gets to die. right? Jesus died for the future of the family. And we get so focused on me, my, I want, I need. There there are very few things that we actually need. Jesus said food, clothing, shelter. Those Those are actual real needs. And he said, and the pagans worry about it. You're God's kid. Quit worrying about it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is going to work its way out. Everything else is going to work its way out. I, I want to encourage you. This is, this is what Jesus said. John chapter 10, verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again, he says. Jesus knew by faith, if I'll lay down my life, I'll take it up again. And this is why the Father loves me, because I'm going to lay down my life. we got to be willing to lay down our wants for God's purpose, for God's kingdom. Amen? God's church is God's family. I, I learned this. Jennifer and I learned um, an amazing lesson when we walked. And again, I mentioned before, um, my sweet mother-in-law, Didi, uh, down here, incredible, the best mother-in-law ever. She's so wonderful, been a m- massive blessing to us, our entire marriage. My parents, Ken and Jean Scrivener, on, watching online, they watch every single uh, week. They never miss a week. They're, I mean, incredible parents. We're so, 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 so blessed. And, and we've also walked through seasons where the family of God showed up in ways that our natural family wasn't able to be or wasn't in a position to be or whatever. We've, we've seen the family of God step up in our lives. As wonderful as our natural family is, we've also seen God's family come through and, and have incredible, and he, here's the truth of the matter. You may be in a situation where you feel very much alone because your family could be on a different part of the coast or whatever. You, you could be in a different season of, of your life. You may feel very alone, but you're not alone because you've got your heavenly father and you've got the family of God. And even Jesus had to, have, have you ever, have you ever been in a season where you felt like your family was crazy? Like they'd lost their ever living mind? Like maybe 2016 or 2020 or 2022 or 23, every, I mean, right? Have you ever, have you ever been in a season where your family thought you had lost your ever living mind? Well, Jesus can relate to that. Do you know that? Watch this. This is Mark chapter three, verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house And again, a crowd gathered together so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. It was so packed in there. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his 
mind. The Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary said Jesus is out of his mind. She might lose her sainthood over that one. My God, less hail's going on from now on. I mean, she thought Jesus lost his mind. You believe that? His brother James, his other brother Jude, thought he lost his mind because he's doing miracles. He, he's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's got all these people coming to him. He's gathering together. He's got the, the religious, the Pharisees are there. It's the Sabbath and Jesus is standing up and talking back to the Pharisees and healing people right in front of them and calling them broods of vipers and, and, and all kinds of wicked stuff. I mean, it was unbelievable what's going on, the controversy. And it was too hot for his family to handle. Too crazy for his family. They just wanted to go back to normal. Can you just go back to normal? He's lost his mind. We have to go take him, take charge of him, set him straight. Verse 20, then Jesus, oh, oh I'm sorry, I, I forgot this part. And the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So not only did his family think he was crazy, the religious, the religious people said he was demon possessed. You have ever had anybody say you had a demon? I have. Trying to do good things for God. Somebody that prays so much more than me, all of a sudden the Lord revealed to them that because of the vision God had given me for Oaks Church, that apparently I had a demon and so did this board member and that board member. I mean, one of my board members definitely has a demon, but we're not gonna talk about that. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, but th but that, that kind of accusation, when you're trying to do good things for Jesus and people are getting saved and families are being restored and you're doing good for God and it's hurtful, right? But listen, if they said it about Jesus, they'll say it about you. And the, the, the comforting thing was, wow, I, I guess I'm, if someone's going to say that I have a demon because I'm trying to do something great for God, I guess I'm becoming more like Jesus. I guess I got a long way to go still. But the reality is typically the people that are pointing at other people and calling them saying they got demons, typically those are Pharisees. And that's not what we want to be anyway. Because the Pharisees got all the rules and all the laws and all the stuff they think that they know and how much better they are at this and that and how much more holier they are as anybody else. And, and, and the truth of the matter is the greatest person in the kingdom is the person that recognizes how much they need Jesus and how empty and bankrupt uh, they are in and of themselves. That's, that's when you're great in the kingdom. When you're small, he's big in you. When you're weak, he's big in you. The bigger you think you are, the more holy you think you are, the more righteous you think you are, the better you think you are as being a Christian and other Christians, the smaller God is in you, according to scripture. Humility is the greatest power in the kingdom. Amen? So it's okay if people don't understand. There's never been anybody, listen, if you're gonna do great things for God, people are gonna talk bad about you. You're, if you're gonna do great things for God, if you're gonna follow the voice of God, people are gonna say you're crazy and you got a demon. If people aren't calling you crazy and, and saying you have a demon, you might not be doing enough for Jesus. Get out there and go for it, right? Okay? So then verse 31, Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. They're coming to take him. They're standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers outside are looking for you. And Jesus responds, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle all around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, my, does God's will is my mother, my sister, and my brother. 
See, Jesus recognized that not to say anything negative, Jesus didn't talk bad about the Virgin Mary. He didn't talk bad about his brother James, or he wasn't saying anything bad about them. He was just saying, you know what, guys, they don't get it. They're not seeing the will of God right now. You're seeing and obeying the will of God, so you're my mother, you're my brother, you're my sister. Jesus was revealing the family of God is a family that actually can supersede, at times, your own natural family. In fact, Jesus said that, that he came to, to, to divide and that people would have to choose between him and their natural family because he has to be first. God has to be first. And, and he literally said, some people, the vision will come because they're gonna choose me and their family will reject it. And each of us, man, my friends that pastor on the mission field, my friends that pastor in the Middle East, my friends that pastor in Asia, in, in, in India, in, in different parts of the world where it's illegal to proselytize and to lead people to Jesus, when, when they lead someone to Jesus and they risk their freedom and they risk their life or they risk being ex or deported out of a country, it, the greatest risk is the person giving their life to Jesus because if they're in India and they leave Hinduism for Jesus, they are an outcast from society. They lose their inheritance. They lose their college opportunity. They lose their opportunity to get married. All the marriages are arranged over there. They cannot be paired now with another family. They literally give up their entire life. They're willing to leave and lose their whole family and way of life for Jesus. And we're over here worried about something that popped up on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or one of these other stupid little things. We're so, so spoiled, and honestly, we're so intoxicated by the knowledge of good and evil. That's what that is. The knowledge of good and evil. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. You remember, man, I remember being back in, back in, this, in the 80s. You didn't know no, was nothing. You didn't, nothing was going on. You'd go off to work, go off to school back in the 70s. The whole world, could, nuclear war could have broken out. You don't know nothing. Just having a good day. Now we're literally every single day, all day long, you get to see what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with humans, what's wrong with people. It is the knowledge of good and evil. It's the thing God tried to save us from. It steals your peace. It steals your joy. And it's what the enemy wants you wrapped up in. One time Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, we have left everyone. Jesus said, it's harder for a rich person to enter into heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. He was talking about how you have to, if you're gonna to come to God, you have to take all the burdens, all your junk, all your stuff, all your, you gotta strip yourself down and come to him in a place of humility. And Peter said, we've left all for you. And Jesus said, yeah, you have. And every single one of you that's left houses and wealth and families and lands, all, that, all everything you left to come follow me, you'll receive back 100 times in this life and in the life to come. You will never outgive God. You'll never outsacrifice God. And that's why Jesus said some people seek to save everything. They want to keep everything and they lose everything. We got to be people that are willing. <clears throat> when Jennifer and I were going through the loss of our daughter O'Neill, um, we saw the church surround us in an unbelievable way, incredible way. One of the things that, um, struck me the most, that spoke to me the most, was my boss at the time was Gordon Banks. And when our daughter passed, um, he sat me down. He said, listen, Joel, he goes, I don't want you to come to work. He goes, just go be with your family. He goes, the ministry will wait. Church will wait. Everything else will wait. 
you go be with your family. If you can show up on Sunday, show up. If you can't, don't. If you can come to work in a few weeks, come. If you can't, don't. None of that matters. Your family matters. Oh, that, that, that was incredible. To have a boss that said, I don't care how long it takes, we care about you. We care about your family. Church will be fine. See, that's the same, that's, that's, that's what gave me confidence. That 24 years ago, 22 years ago, is what gave me confidence. And this is a small thing, tiny thing in comparison. But when you're, when you're I mean, the, the joke, people always joke, oh, all you do, I mean, you're, you're a preacher, you only work on Sundays. Okay. Well, I mean, I would love for run your multi, you know, million dollar year operation with all kinds of, you know, building projects and families and all that kind of, let's try running that one day a week, see how that works out for you, right? I mean, a, a church is, is, a, is an organization and there's millions of dollars that go through and there's buildings and there's taxes and there's employees and there's all these, the reality is there's a lot that goes on. There's staff, there's family, there's needs, there's missionaries, there's stuff everywhere. It, 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 the reality is church never stops. Taking care of people is 24 hours a day. That's the reality. And I, I just laugh because nobody really understands and that's cool. And if, you know, if you'll let me work one day a week, I will. If that's what you think and that's what you expect. I mean, that's cool too, but it's not the reality. But, but, but that lesson I learned 20 something years ago when all of a sudden we're in the middle of all this and, and Jennifer goes through this thing and, and, I, and I'm like, I, I have to put my family first. The church will be okay. The people will be fine. People will understand. I wanna get a meeting with Pastor Joel. I, it's gonna be a couple months. They'll understand it's, it's family. It's God, it's family. And so thank you for understanding and for giving us the grace to, to take care of our family. We want the same grace for you. We wanna take care of your family. That's what this is about, amen? Amen? But it all comes back to God being first. I wanna give you just a couple quick things, um, very practical, and we'll close with this. How to be an MVP, a most valuable player in your family. And it, and it also, interestingly enough, it, it translates perfectly into the house of God. How to be an MVP in the family. Number one thing, the most important thing, if you're gonna be a valuable person in your family, a valuable player on, your, on the team of your family, the number one most important thing is this, be present. Be present. Be present. Listen, my, 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 Jennifer and I are not perfect at all. Um, but we're, we're there for our kids. We're present with our kids. And we're at, you know, man, every rehearsal, every game, every pro, at the practice, we're, we're there. We're present. We're not perfect, but we're present. It's important. You want to have a good relationship with your spouse? You better be present. You better put that phone down. You, you better turn stuff off. You better be present. You want to have a good relationship with your kids? You better be present. You don't want your kids, you know, and, and late into their 20s, they're like, yeah, you know, my dad was around, but he was never really in the room. Better be present. It's important. And, and truth of matter, same thing at church. You want to have great relationships? Got to be present. You want to get you want to get something. Out? Look, the one of the, the worst thing that happened with COVID. The worst thing that happened is people think that they can replace the coming together of the body of Christ with watching on a screen. Doesn't replace it, guys. You can get information anywhere. 
That doesn't mean you can get the inspiration of the collective joining together of the body of Christ. There's a reason Jesus commanded never to forsake the coming together, the gathering together of the body of Christ. It's because we're simply better together. We need each other. And being in the room together on a regular basis is absolutely mandatory for your personal health. You gotta find a place. And if, you live, if you're with us online and you live somewhere else, hey, I get that, that's cool, but don't watch alone. Get your friends together, get your family together, come together and begin to create that. If you don't have a church in your area, if you do, man, find that. Keep watching online, that's great. We love you, you're a part of us. But man, if you live here local, as much as you can, be here. Be present. Same thing with your family. As much as you can, be present. Do you gotta work? Yeah, do you gotta travel? Sure, do you gotta handle this? Yeah, but be present. Because you're not going to get a great reward if you're not in the room with your family. Amen? Number two, be planted. What does that mean? Be planted. That means you're actually plugged in somewhere. You're serving. You're, 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 you're giving of yourself. Massively important. Same thing. I mean, you, you can say a whole lot of stuff about Jennifer and my parenting and whatever and all that kind of stuff, but you can't say that we're not serving our kids. My God, you know, I don't, I've heard lots of different names, helicopter mom, smother mother. This woman is prepared to the nth degree for her kids. I mean, dude, I mean, she's ready for an apocalypse if, with preparation with serving her kids. Same thing, man. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I am the coach. My kids are like, God, dad, please stop. God, please stop talking. Please. Stop. Every moment is a teachable moment. Every moment is a learn from this moment. Every moment is the next, you know, pep talk coach moment. I mean, but we're present and we're planted with them. Bible says he who is planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. The sad thing about the reality of our current church situation is people aren't present as often as they used to be. I believe the national statistic is that attendance, regular attendance is now once every couple months. And that person thinks they're a regular attender because they watch a podcast later or they listen somewhere and they still kind of know what's going on, but they're not present and they're missing stuff. If all, if the only communication you ever had with your spouse was voicemails, texts, It's about being in the presence. That's good. That's where the intimacy comes, right? Years ago, we had a, a company come and evaluate church. It's a church um, a growth company. And they just came and evaluated the city. And they looked at the church and looked at things. And what is, what's this going? Look at this. Look at that. Just kind of help us put things in place and do things better. But they evaluated the city of McKinney and, and the surrounding Frisco, uh, Plano, Collin County area. And what they came to realize is that... Um, Specifically, McKinney, they called it the home of the princess Christian. Remember the princess and the pea? It's not a good thing. The princess Christian is so, is so princess that she can feel the pea, the irritation of the pea, 15 mattresses below her. So she must be the princess. Because only a princess would be that irritable, that entitled, that easily... And that's what they said Christians in McKinney were like. That if, if one little thing isn't right, next church. One little thing, next church. Listen, here's the truth. God doesn't, oh, well, God is just calling us here. Well, God is just calling. Sometimes he does, but he doesn't do it every three months. He doesn't do it every three years. 
God plants people. And, and there's a very big difference in being planted and being potted. And a lot of Christians are potted and they can stay alive, but they never reach their potential. And, and being planted is about serving. Where are you going to serve? Josh obviously needs some singers. We had two singers on the stage. We need musicians. Uh, Jeremy needs more people to help with ushers. We got one, one guy and his daughter set up the parking lot every single week. Every single week. One person. No help. Yeah. Kids ministry needs help. Youth ministry needs help. LT just taught a great membership class, our line class. That's how you get plugged in. You go to a line class, you get plugged in, you get planted. You want to build great relationships, you get planted. I, I, I literally, when I met my wife, it's because I was planted. I was present at church. I was there every single week because I was looking for her. There every week. I went to the young adults group. I was planted. I was in the groups. I was there. I was serving. I was working in children's ministry. I was working in youth ministry. I was serving. I'm present and I'm planted. I'm present and I'm planted. The Bible says, "Who finds a wife finds a good thing, wins favor from the Lord." It doesn't. It, it, it's not when it says finds a wife. It doesn't mean makes a great profile on only uh, Christians or whatever you want to call it. it. It's not about. It's not about online dating. Nothing wrong with it. Sometimes people do it. I'm not trying to judge anybody. But the. the passage of the Bible, it says, finds a wife. It means to happen upon her along the way, to happen upon him along the way. What it means is you get focused in on the call of God on your life. You get, you're, you're present in the church. You're planted in the church. You're serving. You're doing the mission of God for your life. You're serving. You're following after him. You're running after him. And you look over and you realize there's someone running the same way you're running. There's someone going the same place you're going. They got the same likes, they got the same passions, they got the same focus, and they're going the same place you're going, and you happen upon them along the way because you're going the right place, and God brings them alongside of you. That's the picture. Doesn't mean it can't happen some other way. And there's no judgment if it does. But some people are looking, 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 looking so hard that they're putting it above the Father. God has to be first. The third thing is be a producer. In your family, be a producer. That's about giving. That, that's, that's, that's about what you give. That's about your involvement. That's about you being, uh, being uh, a, a, a partner in it. We're in this together. I'm a producer. I'm not just a taker. I'm a producer. I'm an investor in this. I, I, have, a, I have a vested stake. In, our, in, the, in the family. As your kids grow up, they, they begin to move into a place. I, man, as, as an adult child, I remember when I finally got to the place where, where I didn't have to have my parents pay for everything and I wanted to pay for my parents. I wanted to bless my parents. I wanted to, I remember moving to a place where, where I wanted to do stuff and give them elaborate and expensive gifts and all kinds. I wanted to be a, I wanted to make my family better because I had the ability, that's a maturity level. I don't want to sit there and keep taking, taking, taking. I want to give back. That's about, that's about being a producer. It's a maturity level. I want to be a blesser of my family, not just a receiver for my family. Does that make sense? And in the church, it's the same thing. It's about being a giver, a tither, a producer. I have a vested interest here. Anytime there's an agenda, there's a new vision, there's a new water. Man, we're partners in this. We're investing in this. We're in this. We, our finances are connected with God, and this is what we do. That's, it's a producer. This is how you get the most out of your church. You're present, you're planted, and you're producing. And the last thing is you're a procreator. 
in your family, you're trying to grow the family. You're trying to bring new things to the family. At your household, you're trying to bring new ideas and new creativity and all kinds of stuff. And you're, you're a producer in your family. You're, you're, a, you're a procreator. You're making things better. You're making things more alive. It's the same thing in the church. It's what Lacey and Jonathan mentioned earlier. Look at these empty seats. Be a, be a procreator. Who needs to be here? Who needs that you're an inviter? You're constantly drawing people. You're constantly bringing people. You're constantly trying to grow the family. That's what this is about. If you do these types of things, you're present, you're planted, you're, you're participating or, or producing and you're procreating, you're gonna get so much out of your own personal family. You're gonna have so much value. You're gonna give so much value. You're gonna be so rich in family if these are the things you practice. And it's the same thing at your church. You're gonna get so much out of your church, out of God's family, because you're an investor in it. You're a giver in it. You're not just a taker in it. And this is how you become very, very rich in family. Amen? Amen. Man, thank you for your time today. We'll continue this uh, next week. I need to pray for you and uh, turn it over to Pastor Adam. We'll get you out of here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. God, I love you. And I need you. And I know there are other people in this room right here, right now that need you. God, the truth of the matter is there may be somebody in this room that feels like they're sitting on the outside. They feel like they're not in the family. Maybe they've been off on their own path. Maybe they've been going their own direction. Maybe they've been putting themselves first, not putting you first. Father, this is the moment right here. I ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw people to you, draw people to your family, draw people into you right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. If you need to get right with God, this is your moment. Do not leave this place. Do not turn off this podcast or this stream right now. If, this is, if you're here, you're still with us, and you're not right with God, or you feel far from him, or you don't know if you're in his family, this is your moment right here, right now, to say yes to Jesus and to get your life right with God right now. If that's you, wherever you are, wherever you are right here in this moment, you know I got to get right with God. I got to get right with God. Don't miss this moment. Pray with me. All across the room, we're going to pray. Pray with me right now. I'm getting right with God today. Say this. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I can't do it on my own. Forgive me for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, I am saved. I'm in the family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, if you prayed that prayer, simple as it is. Simple as it is. That prayer right there. You make Jesus the Lord of your life. You join the family. A miracle happens. Jesus said it like this. He said, you're born again. You're brand new. Your sins are forgiven. If that's you, we want to celebrate with you. If that's you online, we want to celebrate with you. I want you to shoot us a little email at info at oakschurch.com or put us a note in the chat down there. Whatever you want to do, communicate with us so that we can follow up and we can help you. But right here in the room, if that's you and you made that decision today, we want to celebrate with you. You're the answer to somebody's prayer. And just, would you give us the opportunity? We're not going to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. We do have a gift for you. But we just want to celebrate and give you the chance to acknowledge that decision that you made. Because Jesus said it like this. He said, if you acknowledge me in front of people, then I will acknowledge you in front of the Father in heaven. That's a great thing to celebrate. Jesus will acknowledge you in heaven right now. Joel, I made that decision. I gave my life to God today. Is that you? Would you just raise your hand? Anywhere in the room. I gave my life to God today. I came back to Jesus today. Anybody in the room? Anybody? All right. Well, guess everybody's saved. That's awesome. That's great. And that, what that means is now you get to be a procreator. So next week, bring someone that needs to say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you. We love you. Pastor Adam, take us away.